we'll see how our government deals with things and we'll see to what degree businesses can remain competitive from a capitalist standpoint and be able to create new products and services, increase productivity, because in the end, that's what's going to pull us out of this. It's going to be the private sector. It's not going to be the government. We have to have the private sector help us out of this. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Market Call Show. This is Louis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today, we have an interesting topic, and I'm really excited about diving in, so let's get going. I'm Lewis Giannis with WealthNet Investments, and this is the Market Call Show. Today, I'm talking about a lot of things that we're seeing in the economy and how it's affecting everybody and how it's affecting you as an investor. So I was at Target the other day, and I was getting ready to just buy a few things, and a client called me. And this client, who used to be a pretty successful orthodontist, he's now retired, and he was telling me, you know... I don't know what the heck is going on. I've never seen this before. And he's an older gentleman. He said, I went to the Wells Fargo and I couldn't find anybody to work. There was nobody working. They literally shut the branch down. And then I went to Starbucks and I talked to the manager and the manager had to close that branch down because there was nobody there to work. He had some contractors that needed to come into his house and the contractors couldn't find enough people to work. People just weren't showing up. And he got pushed back on his project there and on and on and on. So this whole discussion about what's going on with supply constraints, why are we seeing such a change in the economy, led me to want to talk to you a little bit about that. And I've been doing a little bit of work on just getting a little more handle on that because there is really a gigantic regime change that is occurring in our economy right now because we have been in this position where we've been conditioned to expect lower interest rates every business cycle. And we're expecting the stock market to go up with lower interest rates. And we're expecting demand to just kind of rebound because of that. But recently, and this is not something that's new, what I'm about to talk about is something that has happened before. And it's something that we have some history that we can talk about. But we have this inflation change, and we have a change related to the structure of our economy. Some of that change has to do with the regulatory environment that we're in. And some of that has to do with just the basic changes in demographics. It's a, actually a fairly complicated change, but I think we can talk a little bit about what some of the big trends are. And, and I want to really dive into this. There was a really good article that Lizanne Saunders, she writes some market commentary. She's a strategist over at Charles Schwab's research department. And she wrote this article October 18th. 2021. It's called The Beast of Burden of Inflation. And she goes through and she talks about and really defines this concept of stagflation. Stagflation is kind of something that people don't really remember. If you're younger, you probably have never seen it in your life. Last time it happened was in the 70s. But stagflation, if you look at the definition, it's persistent inflation combined with stagnant consumer demand and relatively high unemployment. So the question becomes, how much of this stagflation type environment are we going to see? We are seeing some signs of it now. Consumer demand being stagnated, higher inflation. At first, people 
and analysts and politicians were saying this was transitory, quote unquote. And if you look at the definition of transitory, it means a brief duration or temporary, something that tends to pass away. It's not persistent. But what we're seeing right now is evidence of persistence. And there are some big economic forces that imply that maybe we have some persistence there. Most analysts don't want to come out and say, this is going to be something like the 70s. I I would actually not take heed to any of that. What we really have to do, and this is something I've learned through the years, you just want to watch what's happening in real time and not listen to all the talking heads necessarily about what they forecast. You really have to watch it as it's developing. But with that said, I want to talk a little bit about stagflation and its persistence, consumer demand not stagnating, and the unemployment rate has been falling, la, la, la. There's so many different ways that we can look at this. But interestingly enough, when you look at the stagflation scenario right now, we see a period of time now where we're seeing weakness coming in as inflation is rising. So economic demand has actually weakened as we've seen prices rise. And normally, we've been seeing the opposite. When demand increases, that pushes the prices higher as demand outstrips supply. And that relationship has been going for quite a long time. But now we're doing a flip-flop, and this does flip-flop. And we can dive in a little bit into the correlation between stocks and bonds and what that means for investors. It's a really big deal, if you ask me. But getting back to this correlation, economic surprises and Lizanne Sanders was talking about this. We saw that we've had this shift going towards inflation as it's been rising has been coinciding to weaker demand, not the opposite. This is an important shift. One of the things that she points out that I think is really interesting is that historically, when inflation surprises have run hot, small cap stocks tend to outperform larger cap stocks. So I pulled up a relative chart just to kind of see if what's happening right now is to see if that's holding true. And what I've noticed was the small caps, and if you've been watching some of the interviews that I've done, like on stockcharts.com and in Real Vision, I talked about how the small caps were really poised to do better. And they initially had a big run up. The small caps initially ran up a lot faster than the large caps. And that was a good play. And then what happened is in June of this year, the small caps kind of went sideways and they oscillated back and forth one, two, three, four, four or five times. But recently we saw a breakout from that range. So as the small caps were basing and going sideways, we saw the large cap companies as measured by the Russell 1000, they kept going higher, not at a very quick pace, but moving slightly higher. But now you're seeing this catch-up effect happening. So I think there's some evidence that this is actually happening right now, that some of these small cap stocks could do better. And it makes sense, too, from a valuation standpoint, because a lot of the small cap stocks have better valuations. A lot of the mid cap stocks do as well. There's been a huge concentration in the large companies. Now, we can get into how that's also driven by the indexing. More and more people are indexing, which also favors large capitalization companies. But I think there's more to it than just that. If you look at the active managers who are picking individual stocks based on their merits of value and growth, it looks like they are starting to see more value in the mid and small caps, like what we've been seeing. 
So that's something to keep in mind. So we have an economic backdrop that is supporting small cap stocks. And we also have an economic backdrop that would indicate that maybe larger companies may underperform. Right now, we have these inflation surprises. It's kind of elevated. Citibank has an inflation surprise index. And if you look at a chart of it, it was bouncing up around a level of 40, and then it popped over up to 80 this year. So that's something that is happening right now for us to keep in mind. So we have this other issue when we look at the CPI, it's definitely higher than normal. One of the things that we want to look at is, is that affecting margins? When I was talking to that client that I had mentioned to you, one of the questions became, well, if labor is short and prices are moving up, then that means costs are going up for companies and their margins are going to go down. Well, we are currently in earning season and we have been seeing no evidence of that really or just slight evidence of that because most companies are beating on the revenue line versus expectations and profit margins have not yet gotten constrained. So there's some room there still. We could potentially see margins get constrained. It's so funny because I remember talking to an analyst friend of mine who is a really solid value investor and he was talking about how margins are mean reverting, meaning that the margins tend to go back down to the mean and up to the mean as they over and under shoot. And I remember him making an argument years and years ago that margins had to come down. They had to come down. And actually, they never really did. And the reason why was primarily because of globalization. When I kind of look at it and get rid of all the short-term type forces, it really boiled down to this massive globalization that we were able to benefit from. And what I mean by globalization that helped pricing or margins is really the fact that many corporations were able to get inputs to make products and to deliver services from other than non-US countries. So China, India, et cetera. And that led to prices going down and we just did not have inflationary pressure. So we had this really great Goldilocks globalization. Now that didn't come at a free price. There was a lot of government intervention that was leading to problems with trade deficits and things like that. And those forces appear to be strained now. And that is leading to some more inflation, long-term inflation potential issues. So if we have a reversal of globalization, those prices could be pushed higher. And the implication for stocks are quite significant because we have to see some kind of, it's about earnings, it's about cash flows, and we care about inflation. Now, if you look at the correlation, now this is a really interesting chart that was in this article that Lizanne Saunders did. And she looked at the long cycles of the 10-year bond yield, and she compared that to the S&P 500, and she did a rolling 120-day correlation. I love using rolling correlation because it tells you a lot. I use that type of graphics all the time when I'm comparing relationships. And, and I was pleased to see this chart from her because it really described something that we've been seeing fundamentally bottom up. And it's very profound because if you look at the correlation between the yields and the S&P, it was negative inverse all throughout the 60s, 1969, 71, going all the way, a couple little bouts of positive correlation briefly, like right after the 1987 crash and when we had the Saddam Hussein invasion. But the vast majority of the time, going all the way back to the 60s, all the way till around 1998, 1997, 
that correlation was negative. Now what we're seeing is that's a positive number. It's a positive correlation, right? And that went from the 90s going all the way through the dot-com bubble all the way through now. But what's interesting is we're starting to see the reverse happening again like it did in past times. And this is really important because I remember I wrote a chapter for a book on risk management. The chapter of the book was kind of a geeky name. It's Converging Correlation and Market Shocks. And the basic thesis of that article that I wrote or that chapter that I wrote for the book was that the correlations between markets has changed. And particularly with stocks, now with all the information flow that there's a higher correlation between all the stocks and also that the correlation between stocks and bonds can shift for very long periods of time. If you look at the correlation between stocks and bonds from a price perspective or a return perspective, it's basically positive. It's slightly positive. But we got conditioned recently that there is a negative relationship between the price of the bonds and stocks. But I meant to say that we had a positive correlation. Let me bottom line this. What's been happening is that Stocks have moved up and bonds have moved up together. And we've seen this strong performance with like a standard 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio where they've been moving together. But that's not historically how it works. You have periods of time when it, it goes the opposite direction. You could have a bad bond market and a good stock market, and you can have a good stock market and a bad market, or you could have them both moving up or down. If you worry about your investments, need to make complex financial decisions, or pay unnecessary taxes, a lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal. When you are ready to turn your peace of wealth into peace of mind, go to WealthNetInvest.com and click on the Schedule a Call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today. One of the big dangers that we have is that if we could have stocks that don't do very well, and then bonds that also don't do very well, especially if we have inflation. So let's say yields start moving higher, bond prices start moving lower, that could lead to bonds not doing so well and stocks also struggling because now we have more competition from the yields from bonds. Ultimately, that scenario may come, it may not happen, it's, it's not probably not happening right away, but it could happen. And this is something that's profound for investors who have long time horizons. And this is something that I'm watching very, very closely. One of the things that we can glean from this is that the system is fragile because we have a lot of interdependencies that are going on, especially with the global supply chain. We have ripple effects that can happen from many, many different ways. And there's a chart out there from Capital Economics that is very interesting. And basically what the chart does is it looks at these relationships that have happened with supply shortages caused by associations from different things. So for example, the pandemic has had some supply restrictions, right? It caused some supply restrictions. We saw restrictions in semiconductors, which affected cars and then affect electronics. And then we also had pandemic related demand shifts where at first we had this big decline, but then everything started opening up. And then we saw demand increase for those things like semiconductors and cars and electronics, and there was nothing there. So that's caused prices to go up. We saw more metals increases in demand, more furniture demand that was happening, more food, stuff like that. There was also adverse weather that affected things, that it affected energy prices, agricultural prices. But energy, by the way, is not just from weather. I think this chart doesn't show all the information because a lot of the energy problems we're having right now, the vast majority, in my opinion, is coming from actually 
government policy changes. Those government policy changes have affected Europe, natural gas prices in Europe significantly, as well as gas prices here. That combined with an increase in demand after the pandemic, as we've been opening up, has really exacerbated that. Some of the biggest returns we've seen has been in energy stocks, for example. So we also had the shortage of unskilled labor. So most of the labor shortage that we're seeing is in the more of the unskilled labor pool. This shortage, people are, I think, are baffled by this, but I'm not, I'm actually really not that baffled. I even talked about this probably going to happen because of the changes in the policies by the government. That's basically disincentivizing work, and that is creating shortages. At some point, I would expect that that labor supply shortage to go away. Now, some people came out of the labor force who were retiring early. We saw that with clients, but those are mostly skilled laborers. These are people that their net worth went up enough and they said, you know what, I'm going to retire now. Some people got kind of forced out, but we have seen a lot more people just starting to retire. And we do see a ton of people that are retiring that are coming out of the workforce as the boomers come out. But we have a ton of younger people that are coming in the workforce. The question is, are those younger people actually really utilizing their work at the capacity that they can and should be? And I think the answer to that anecdotally is no, they're not. I think as the workforce on the younger side, unskilled labor area moves more into the main back to where they should be in the equilibrium state. Some of those inflationary pressures should go away, but some will probably remain. We may have a structural increase in unemployment that will not go away, mainly because we're moving more towards socialist policies. The government spending as a percentage of GDP is getting higher, more regulation, massive spending, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole nother ball of wax. But if you add this all up, the labor pains, some of it is temporary, but some of it is not temporary. And that's the part about that I think we need to actually look at. So I would anticipate that I think people who are investing should plan on there being a certain level of persistent inflation, at least for the near more, maybe this cycle, maybe into the next cycle. It's probably not going to be as low as it was before. And we are kind of in a shifting global environment, in particular with China, and there's some power struggles that are happening, and that could lead to more prices moving higher. So there's some offsetting features that are happening or offsetting variables. Like, for example, there's a mass amount of new people migrating into the United States on the southern border, and that is increasing probably, I would imagine, the lower skill side of the labor force. It appears that we're just letting them in. I mean, we have seen some reports of 60,000 people at a time just rushing in. I don't know exactly what's going on. I was just in Texas. I did hear from people in Texas that there are, in fact, a lot of things going on over there, a lot of people coming into our country. So that should help as well. But inflation is something that the Fed is supposed to fight. We expect the Fed to jump in and try to deal with that. One of the problems we have is because our economy is a little bit fragile, anytime the Fed raises rates, it could really hurt the economy. So we could get in a situation, this whole stagflation situation, where the Fed raises rates and then demand falls off, but yet inflation persists. And that's the stagflation cycle. And that is the danger that we face right now. If you look at inflation where it is right now, compared to where interest rates are, we have negative real interest rates. And negative real interest rates cannot persist forever. They have to reverse at some point. I remember when I was studying economics, I had a professor who was in the energy industry, and he studied under Milton Friedman. 
And he was a very, very smart guy. And I, this was an advanced macroeconomics class. And he explained how this cycle works. And it, I'll never forget one analogy he used. He says, it's like stepping on a rake. Economists used to think that if you increase the money supply, if you look at the, the curves, it's just going to create lower interest rates. But actually what happens, there's an uncle point where it creates higher interest rates that's too much money is facing too few goods. And basically what happens is, is you, it's like stepping on a rake. He said, you step on the rake and bam, you lower the interest rate and you step on the rake and you get smacked with the rake handle because inflation kept going up because you were lowering interest rates and you were increasing the money supply. But then Paul Volcker came in and Paul Volcker said, look, this is going to be painful, but we're going to break the back of inflation. And when that happened, he raised those rates and it was very painful. It was not good for people in political power at that time, but it solved the issue. And then we had this massive prosperity that came after that. They say history rhymes, but it's never exactly the same. We probably won't have that exact same scenario because we're smarter now about monetary policy, but we do have a lot of new monetary buzzwords that we're using to <laughs> rebrand old ways of dealing with problems. Modern monetary theory and QE, quantitative easing. Back in the day, we used to call it monetizing the deficit and printing money, things like that. You can't do that forever either. So we'll see how our government deals with things and we'll see to what degree businesses can remain competitive from a capitalist standpoint and be able to create new products and services, increase productivity, because in the end, that's what's going to pull us out of this. It's going to be the private sector. It's not going to be the government. We have to have the private sector help us out of this. Anyway, I thought I'd just bring this up. I think this is a very interesting concept. And I think it is going to affect investors for a bit of time. Well, that's all I have for you at this point. We have some new guests that are going to be coming on the podcast that you will love. Some are traders. Some people that are coming on are not traders. They're more like academic people who know a lot about a topic like retirement or dealing with certain ways of planning. So we're going to have a mix. We're going to have a mix of guests coming on that are related towards practical, what's going on in the markets and the economy, investment strategy, as well as financial planning experts, tax experts, and also some other guests that are just fun. I hope you're doing well, and we will talk to you later. latest episode of the Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.